0: You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. The topic I'm going to talk about is grace. <clears throat> and there are a lot of people who teach grace as kind of the hub of all things and I understand why I can, I can get there myself. And, uh, there's a, there's a a guy that some of you read his books. His name is, uh, Steve McVeigh. He leads grace walk ministries. Uh, his first book I think was grace walk. And then he wrote a book called grace rules, uh, he he has a relatively new one. It's Grace Walk something. I can't remember the name of it. it was Grace Walks. Do what? It was Grace Walks. There's another one after that. It was called another word, I thought. Well, he has a, he wrote a book called Grace Walk, and he won about about Grace Rules. But he's written a third one. It's Grace Walk something, and I can't remember the third word, uh, like experience or encounter or something like that. But he is one of those that teaches that grace is the hub of all things God. I, I can almost move grace into that category. I just can't quite get it there. Because I'm, I'm so foundationally built on identity that I have to make God's love the foundation of all things. Because God is love. That's that is an identity that He is that He carries for Himself, and I'm uh, and I. For me personally, to, why would God show me such grace? Oh, I know because He loves me. So to me, I I, I put love in that in that place. It doesn't minimize what I'm going to say tonight about grace, but I can't hold grace in that same place that many do. But it's not minimizing it. It's, just the way it, it's just the way it touches me. So I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to spend a few minutes there in this passage, Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> there are some words in this that, hang, that where we get hung up, and because we get hung up in a few words, we don't read past those words to truly understand what is being said. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now begin to let the profundity of this, the depth of this, let this begin to soak in. Listen to those kind of phrases. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as He hath chosen us in Him Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Do you hear it? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So once again, we come back to the conversation we had in Bible study this morning back in Sunday school. To this, rec- to this question that we, were, we talked about at length about this word reconciliation, that, we, that God was reconciling us back to himself through Christ Jesus. What did the reconciliation look like? We've got a holy God who's not going to lower his standard. We sometimes think if we're tolerant of things that we're, that we're somehow lowering God's standard. God won't lower his standard. Not going to happen, not going to change his perspective on things. But we have this holy God and we have this very unholy humanity. Unholy men, unholy women. So we've got a disparity here that has to somehow be reconciled. Reconciliation of a checkbook or whatever we're doing means we have to somehow find agreement in these two things. Holy God, the unholiness of our humanity. What was the reconciliation? How did he do it? He had such an amazing plan, such an amazing way to bring this reconciliation because we recognize that we are unholy and we can't seem to do anything about it. We are sinners. It's it's clearly stated. So what did he do? He took someone who had a perfectly clean record, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He took someone who knew no sin, who became sin, our sin, so that we might know the righteousness of God in him. So what happened? How did he deal with this? By the blood of Jesus. So that now that blood that destroyed the power of my sin and now covers it so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me at all. He sees the righteousness of his son that is now covering me And by what Jesus has done, now we are reconciled. Now we can have this relationship between God and us, a holy God, and because of the blood of Jesus, a holy humanity. We're reconciled by the blood of Jesus, what Jesus is. So when we read these verses, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, so we know that that the plan for this when, how this was going to be done was laid out before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So being holy and without blame isn't a goal we're setting, we're setting for ourselves. It's not a target that we're trying to achieve. It's the recognition that by the blood of Jesus, we have been established in holiness and we have been established blameless. Do we recognize the kind of freedom we could walk in if we would just believe that for ourselves? That there is no sin. This still blows our mind that God cannot see our sin. Now we keep thinking he can't. We keep thinking that he's got this focus on us and, bon- and closely monitoring us for those things that we do good, those things that we do bad, but if 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 when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son on me. And so this is really important when we start getting into this conversation of grace. If he looks at me, how much sin can he see? He can only see the sin that was committed by his son. And how much was that? There's none. He can't see any sin when he looks at me because I'm, it, it's not me, it's him. He's looking at the righteousness of his son that is now covering me. The blood, what did it do? And see, that's so conceptually challenging for us. Because we keep thinking because of a heritage and a history of sin management that the Christian life is about this constant work trying to get rid of bad things in my life and replace them with the good things I do so that I become a better Christian and I quit doing wrong things and I start doing better right things. That's sin management across the board. Bringing sin back to life that God had said, I took it to the cross. It doesn't exist anymore. Listen to verse 5. This is where we get hung up. We get hung up in this word predestinated. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Let me read it again. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children By Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. How did we become His children? How did this ever occur? Well, we get to read the next verse to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved. What made me acceptable? According to that scripture, what made me acceptable? It was His grace. Why is this so important? It's important because grace and only, and only grace will let us discover the greatest truths that He wants to share with us. If we don't get grace, there will be things that He says that we're going to miss. If we don't understand grace, he's going to try to tell you something about you and you're not going to believe it because your opinion of yourself has been so affected by your past. Your opinion of yourself has been so affected by the history, by the people in your story that you're going to be so affected by that when God tries to tell you something those things are, are going to guide where your mind goes, where your thoughts go, what you will accept and what you will dismiss. But if you ever understand the grace of God, and, and again, I heard, I heard this said recently, that grace is not God's unmerited favor. That was quite, I had to stop when I heard that. The grace is not God's unmerited favor. It, it works real well. That definition works real well only if you keep Jesus from being human. But what happens if you ever, as we should, recognize that Jesus was in all ways fully human? He wasn't just hiding himself in, in some form of God, in some, in some position of half God and half man Jesus was fully human. So this, this creates a, a bit of a dilemma. Was Jesus shown grace? We have to be careful with this answer because... If I if I don't unless I create a special category for him outside of my humanity, if I need grace, and Jesus was in in all ways determined not to be different from us because we would point to the difference, then I have to somehow acknowledge that in his humanity he also needed grace because we if we don't we don't believe he was tempted we don't believe he had in this in the teaching that I heard we don't believe that he had hormones we don't we don't believe that he that there was ever anything that would tug at him or challenge him or that he would struggle with we we would we would, we would just count all of this because I would, I would, we don't have many of these stories. What happened when, when his parents realized that, that he was, now they'd traveled several days and Jesus wasn't with them and they have to turn around and go back? In, 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 a, in a human story, why didn't they beat him half to death? Because what was he shown? He was shown grace. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was with, but he was about his father's business. But in, in their minds, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Now I can, again, this is struggle, intellectually challenging because Jesus never sinned. So we say, well, he didn't need grace if he never sinned. How come he never sinned? Because he never had the choice to never had the temptation to, or never yielded to the temptation? Now, you get to answer that for yourself. That's a big question, and it really, it, it make your head spin when you, when you concentrate on it for a while. But when we, when we believe that, that grace is God's unmerited favor, I don't think we necessarily see ourselves correctly because I believe that it was because of the love of God I believe that the grace was merited. You know, I know that's different. Think about it. You come up with your own conclusion. But I will tell you that if we don't understand the grace that he's talking about in verse 5 and 6, there will be many profound things that God wants to tell us that we can't hear. Uh, this, this is one that I, that I wrote down on the list. You won't get this until you understand Grace. You must know who you are to change what you do. You must know who you are to change what you do. Is it a true statement? How much will behavior modification actually change the outcome? You see, it won't. We've tried that. We've been down that path many times tr- trying to change our behavior to somehow improve our relationship with God, to try to improve anything and behavior modification won't get us there. Why? Because transformation doesn't come in behavior modification. Transformation in our lives comes with an understanding of identity. And there is there isn't really no other explanation. Another one that I wrote down, grace speaks to us that which God sees as identity while we're still examining our actions and behaviors. Grace speaks to us that which God sees as identity while we're still examining ourselves in terms of actions and behavior. Matthew, if you, if you tried to make an assessment of yourself based on actions and behaviors, how accurate would the picture be? Not very accurate. And you know yourself pretty well. If anybody knows you, it's probably you. But the reality is that God, while you're doing all the examination of what you did, what you said, where you were, all those kind of things. Did I do it well? Did I share what I was supposed to share? Did I stand up when I was supposed to be sitting down or sitting down when I was supposed to be standing up? You can evaluate all of those actions And all the time you're evaluating, God is looking at you only in terms of identity. Think anything would change if we started just listening to what God says about who we are. Changing our behavior will never, ever, ever, ever give us victory. Let's read a little bit more of this passage. Go back to verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Read it slowly. Move through it carefully. In whom we have redemption, through His blood, bought, paid for, by His blood, we have the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Wherein He has abounded toward us in all wisdom And prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. I want to tell you, if it ever soaks in, how God thinks of you and I, according to that that word we call grace. That grace that says all the time, I'm beating myself up. For those places where I don't measure up, God sees our identity. There is no deficit in his assessment. Because of grace, we can know that we are perfectly loved. And again, if we know we're perfectly loved, what gets cast out? Fear. Because of grace, we can know peace that passes understanding. What does that peace remove anxiety if we know if if we understand grace we can know joy unspeakable and full of glory what will that remove if i know if i walk in joy unspeakable because of the grace of god if i walk in joy unspeakable and full of glory what was what did he give us that in exchange for what going on in our life what's the thief of our joy Do I? Doubt. A lot of, there's probably several things. Doubt is is a very good answer. That he gives us this because it erases something else. We can know by the grace of God that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We can know because of grace that God has a very high and very full view, a very high opinion of you. He's not looking at you with an ounce of frustration. He's not looking at you with an ounce of disappointment. If we understand, ever understand the grace of God, and that went by that grace and this reconciliation that He looks at us and He sees His Son, He sees what His Son has done, there will never be a moment of disappointment when the Father looks at you. Now, what difference does that make? I hope, it, I hope it changes everything. I hope there's not a single thing left untouched inside of you if you can fully ever grasp the grace of God and that he looks at us in a way that we can't even seem to manage to look at ourselves. Because grace is, this is the definition that I heard and I wrote down. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables us to become that person that he already sees when he looks at us. Let me read that again. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables us to become that person that he sees when he looks at us. That makes sense? He wants us to recognize that he has this that there is a presence about him and that the power the that presence is empowering us it enables us to every day step more fully into the person that he already sees that we are who is who is with whom is his greatest struggle in doing this with whom does he struggle the most well i hear it often i hear it satan yeah uh, Who is, yeah, you got it. It's us. We are the ones that struggle against his wanting to do this the most. It's not Satan. Satan's been defeated in this. The normal resistance that God finds in in trying to help us become that person that he sees that we already are the number one person that resists him in that is us. I refuse to let him tell me how wonderful he thinks I am. Can you do it? Can you let God in this moment tell you how wonderful he thinks you are? Can you in this moment let God tell you what he sees when he sees you? Can you, in this moment, by the grace of God, let Him tell you how fearfully and wonderfully that you are made? How beautiful, how remarkable, how incredible He has made you? Who's resisting those words? Who resists them? We, uh, Jan and I, get on the phone each evening at about 7 o'clock with, with Emily our granddaughter in Austin, who's two, be, will be three in December. And, I, and on, on a very regular basis, when, when I get the phone, I start and I say, oh, look everybody, how pretty she is. And she just rolls her eyes and falls back against her mother. And I'll say, look how, incre- look how remarkable she is. Look how beautiful she is. She'll say, no. And how loving, no. And she's loving every minute of it. She's saying no, but she's soaking it up. I tell you, it's just it's just fun to watch her, but she loves to say no. Well, guess what God hears, and, and we mean it. When God says you're beautiful, no. God, I looked in the mirror. You're wrong. You didn't see what I see. You're so smart. No, God, did you, did you just see the blunder? You see, we are, the, we are our own natural resistance to the grace of God, that empowering presence of God that is every day enabling us to become more and more that person that God already sees. We call the process sanctification, the growing into that which he says we are. It would happen so much faster if he wasn't having to try to fight us in the process, that we could actually believe what he says. We stand in front of a mirror and see one person, he sees another. We see our behavior, he sees our identity. If we believe that, we, if we believe this about grace, we will understand that grace is not about sin management. And not a means by which we can avoid sin. Because that's typically the teaching. Grace is what allows us to avoid sin. Man, we come short in our understanding. Grace is the greatest announcement that you are absolutely included in the kingdom of our Savior. I wonder how many of us, if we would ever be honest not just in this group sitting here tonight, but across the Christian world, across the believing world, would feel like it's how how much someone in in that believing world, how often they would feel like they are not included in his kingdom, not included in his story. They may know it ultimately that someday I will be in heaven, but between here and there, I seem to be on the outside. I seem to not be acceptable. I seem to not be enough. I seem to not matter. I wonder how many believers are sitting in that position today, knowing, yes, that someday when I die, I have the assurance of heaven, but between here and there, I don't seem to be included in anything that's his kingdom. My, my guess is that that percentage would be really high. That there would be so, so many that because of something they have done, some former something, some past, that they have been strangely disqualified from being included in kingdom life. And God's saying, you're holding something against yourself that I can't even see. And because you're doing it, you're feeling excluded when by the grace of God, I'm announcing to you to the biggest megaphone that that God can hold. He's announcing to you, by my grace, you are included. Not because of you, but because of me. You are included in the kingdom of our Savior. We are included in his family, and I am listed among his friends. Not because of us, but because of grace. What what do you think about? Is it pretty typical for believers to feel like that they have somehow been excluded? What do you think, Lacey? You've been at this a long time. What do you think? I think so. I think we track more than God does. I think we we keep funny. we we don't track our qualities that God gives us, but we track our shortcomings. Mm Mm-hmm. No the energy for life. Yeah. And so often we're well, he, he took away my sins, but I still got that residue and I still know he he's got a perfect memory. We don't yeah. we, we can't erase <laughs> like, Well and even even with him, uh, you know, when Judy was talking to us uh, that uh, in a, in one of the Bible studies before, where it God said where it it doesn't say God forgets, it said God remembers no more. And there is a real difference. Because, again, I love that picture that that, that, that brings. This, you know, And I used a dumb illustration, but it's a handy one. That if I were to cut off my finger, that finger is a member of my body. If, I, if it were to be sewn back on, it would be remembered. But God says that which he severed off, our sin, he will never remember he will never reattach it so that when he sees us, he doesn't see us with, a, with this, these attachments of, this, of these former things because he remembers them no more. They will never be attached to us again. They're not a part of us anymore. He severed them. I'm not sure he could totally forget them. I'm not sure I, I get an all-knowing God to forget, but I can sure see the with clarification that he remembers no more. We have, we have a good... We have good memories, and we—you're right—we track the shortcomings, and and for most of us, the list can get pretty saturated pretty quickly. And God is saying, "By my grace, and by, and by my grace, I'm not tracking any of those things." Yeah, Donna. Do something wrong, you get there is a consequences. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and and you're taught that from childhood. You know, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Room, stay there for an hour. <laughs> it becomes very easy, you're right, for those for that same mindset to be transferred over to all things God. Is it there's got to be a consequence. There's got the the there's got to be the, the, the next shoe has got to fall. There's got to be something else. Very strangely, in ministry, that's one of the harder things that I, have to, that I have to deal with, is that when we start talking about freedom in deliverance, or freedom in repentance, or freedom in salvation, it's very difficult for people to believe that, that by that choice, by that decision, by that faith, I can be free and that there's not some punishment I have to face. There's not some heavy consequence that I have to carry. Because our mindset is that if I've done something, there has to be a proportional consequence to it. And for people to actually believe and, and know that, know that, yeah, there was, there wa- yeah, there was a consequence to your sin. There was something very heavy that had to be done to deal with it. It just didn't happen to be you who did it. Jesus did it. Was there a consequence for my sin? Absolutely. Was there a price that had to be paid? Was there something that had to be atoned for? By my? Yeah, it was. I just didn't do it. Someone actually did that for me. Hard to comprehend. Especially in the, in the culture we live where somebody would actually step up and take the punishment for someone else. mm-hmm yeah they don't remember those. Good things. when I was being interviewed to be pastor here I had preached over over at Morton that morning and Jan and I were over there, and we were having lunch there in the first Baptist church in morton and the and the search committee was there uh uh in the interview and one of the ladies that was on the committee Asked this, made a statement then asked this question. Uh, She said, you have, you have laid down your past, haven't you? And I said, yes, ma'am, and always. I don't carry it. She said, do you find that we keep bringing that baggage that you laid down back and setting it back at your feet? And I said, yes, ma'am, almost Daily. No matter where we would go and the freedom we would live in, somebody would love to say, oh, they left this garbage back here. They left this bag. And they'd bring that bag that we left back behind us intentionally, and they would set it right back down at our feet. And she said, by these questions, is that what we're doing? And I said, yes, ma'am, you are. You're trying to make sure that I'm still aware of the baggage that I once had. And, man, it was a changing moment in that conversation. I said, I don't I don't carry it anymore. I don't have it anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. It only shows up when somebody reaches and gets it and brings it back from my past and sets it back down at my feet. So you're right, Johnny. It's uh, where we get attached to it and it's but I don't have to live attached. Somebody might try to bring it, but I don't have to live attached anymore. Only by the grace of God can we Can we lay it down and actually walk away from it and know that it doesn't exist in my story anymore? Father, thank you tonight that we can have this conversation about grace. We know, Lord, that it's such a dynamic part of how you want us to understand, how you want us to know you, and how you want us to know ourselves. Because it will be almost impossible, Father, and you tell us this, it will be almost impossible for us to walk in freedom if we don't comprehend grace. We'll never see ourselves as enough. We will never see ourselves as adequate. We will constantly be reminded of some failure and some shortcoming and some decision that we once made and some poor choice and some relationship we were in. And and we will keep reminding ourselves and others will remind us of those things Except by the grace of God, we will never walk in true freedom. That we recognize that while we're still trying to reconcile those kind of things on our list, you don't even acknowledge that there's a list. You don't see it because you're seeing us in the true identity of who you made us to be. Father, I just want your grace. I just want to understand it. I want the fullness of it. I want to completely comprehend it. Because I don't want to see any part of me that doesn't, that, that doesn't come through that grace. I don't want to beat myself up anymore. I don't want to hold things against me anymore. I want to walk in that freedom. I want to know, I want to walk fully every day in that power, the grace of sin that has been forgiven, sin that has been canceled, sin that has been completely covered by your blood. I want to walk in that freedom. I want to walk in the joy that it gives me. I want to walk in the peace that I get to, that I get to walk in. I want to walk in that perfect love. Because if I think I've got something against myself or you're holding something against me, the love may be there. It won't be perfect. If I walk in that perfect love, I do so because I understand your grace. So thank you, Father, that whether we deserved it or not, you gave it. Merited or unmerited, you gave it so that we would be empowered in your presence to become the people that you already see that we are. Let us become fascinated with that, to be able to see who you see and each day walk in that new life that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for teaching us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.